Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. You know, when we worship, we tell God he's in control. And sometimes our biggest battle is taking control. Amen? Amen. Welcome to Beacon this morning. I'm so glad you're here. My name is CB. Before we take our seats, would you just help me thank God for Pastor Ty and our worship team today? Thank you. Can I borrow this? No communion. No communion. I'm going to let them take their seat, and as they take their seat, I'm going I'm to encourage you to do the same thing. Would you do me a favor on your way down to your seat? Um, high five your neighbor. There it is. You say, why do we do that in church? Why do you make us talk to each other? Oh, I don't like to talk to Is anybody an introvert in the building? I ain't got any introverts here. And so when the pastor says high five your neighbor, how many of you dislike that? Be honest. Dislike. Amen. I see you. Okay. The reason we do it is for you. I don't have to tell the gregarious extroverts to go meet somebody. They've already talked to all of you already. We do this so that even those of us, myself included, who like to be left alone in Jesus' name, will step outside of our comfort zone and meet, connect, and grow with someone who may help us. Amen? This is an intentional thing. It's not just a cultural thing. I do this so that when you come in, you leave knowing somebody, not leave alone in Jesus' name. Y'all with me? Amen. Amen. Hey, real quick, just a quick reminder. If you don't already have our app, make sure that you get it. It's the best way to stay connected to all that we're doing. You can register for a small group yourself, sign up on a team. You can listen to sermons, schedule a meeting with me, or even give. The best way to do it is to text the word BEACON to the number 97000, and you'll get back a link. It'll walk you whole all the way through the process. Amen? Amen? Hey, let me encourage you real quick in our time of giving. How many of you are thankful that we get to be generous as believers and partner with God? Can y'all... Help me thank God. I know I am. I truly am. And I, I got a chance today to walk with one of our deacons this morning, and he was talking to me about his work. Um, one of our deacons, several of our, all of our deacons are good givers. Amen. They wouldn't be deacons if they weren't. Come on, somebody. Um, but, but several of our deacons have really tested God. They've really believed the, the text in Malachi where he says, try me now in this. I've got two or three deacons that, that are just such supernaturally cheerful and generous givers to our church that, frankly, we could not do what we do without these two or three uh, men who are in our church who just walk it out by faith. And, and true to form, um, every one of them is absolutely supernaturally blessed also in their finances. It's, it's uncanny. So this morning I was walking with one of our deacons, and he's one of our most generous members. We're talking about the industry that he works with. The industry that he works in is, a, is in a downturn. It's been all over the news and everybody's worried. And it's not a good industry to be in right now. And yet I said, so how's it going for you? Things are slowing down? And he said, oh, oh no, pastor. Things are actually picking up for me. 
And I said, well, how is that? And he said, well, it turns out that even as the market has turned, the need for people like me has increased so that the people I serve can weather the storm of the market. And it just seemed to remind me that when we are people who live according to God's kingdom principles, no matter what the world throws at us, we weather the storm. I mean, I just love the testimony that the young people in our church, the deacons in our church who are the most generous watch the recession and go, yeah, I'm good. I ain't really even worried about that because God's got me. Amen? And I tell you those stories to encourage you. This thing that we do about giving at church, it's not a mechanism by which we try to take your money. It is a supernatural teaching. It is a Bible truth from Old Testament to New that says, if you want to get your money right, get your money right with God first. Amen? Now you say, wait, am I supposed to give and then make more money? No, that's not why we give. But I ain't saying it doesn't happen. Amen. You've heard this phrase, and I'll say it again, and then I'll lead you in a time of prayer. You cannot outgive God. Several ways that you can give on the screen behind me. If you give by cash or check, there's a box on the way out by the Bible bar. Everything that you give helps us to continue to do church right here in the heart of the city. Helps us to support organizations that I'm going to tell you about this fall. Very excited about some outreach partnerships and some church planting endeavors that we're coming alongside. Everything that you do helps the gospel go forward. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, thanks for the opportunity to give. We recognize that giving is an act of submission, an act of obedience, an act of humility, and one that tells you that we trust you. And so, Father, today, with every gift, I ask that you'd see that trust. With every person who is testing you now in this, show yourself faithful as you always do. Take the seed that we sow, bury it, water it, and bring forth much fruit from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I'm excited to preach. Um, I, I got a chance, Chanel and I were down in, in Miami this past weekend. Thank you so much for letting us uh, step away for a moment. We got to steal a couple of days of vacation, but I still had to work. That's the only way pastors can afford to take a vacation. You got to work a little bit. Um, and we were down in a, a beautiful church. A friend of mine uh, leads a church called Life Point, and it's in Homestead, Florida. And if you've never been to Miami, Florida in the middle of July, I do not recommend it. My God, it is... It was 100 degrees with 100% humidity, and the feels-like temperature was 110. And this isn't in my notes or in the Bible, but I just want to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart. I don't understand feels-like. <laughs> if it feels like 110, isn't the temperature 110? Amen. All right. That's all I wanted to tell you. We're just glad to be back because here it's 90 and it's dry and it's wonderful. But what's preaching at the church in, in Homestead, Florida, they had three services and uh, they do pretty quick services. So I would preach and, and come down and eat a spoonful of honey and drink some water and run back out and preach. And, and I was just excited to be back here with you because I love you and I only have to preach one time. Awesome. Although, I don't know if you can tell, but we continue to fill up even in the middle of the summer. So the fall is coming, and we're going to have to probably do two services. So put that in your heart as, as, uh, as an understanding that we're growing, and we're going to have to all work together to make it happen. Amen? Amen. All right, y'all have your Bible. Say yeah. yeah. 
We're going to continue our study in the book of Galatians. Today I pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 15 and read through verse 20. This is going to be essentially part two of a message we called Old Habits and Bold Humility. When I was teaching the last time with you in Galatians, we were talking about sin and how sin is really a pride problem. And the only way to really overcome the sin problem in your life is to defeat the pride problem in your life. And that's through humility, through surrender and submission. And we ended right at the end of verse 15 because the tone in the text changes right here. And I thought it appropriate for us to break this out for just a moment and to read. So we're in Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, and it reads like this. The Apostle Paul writing to the churches in Galatea, he says, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? <laughs> they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you would make much of them. Yes, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You know, whenever we split up a message like this, whether we run out of time or the Lord wants to say more than we originally planned for, I don't typically have a new name for part two of the message. But as I spent some time studying this over the last several weeks, uh, I really felt like the Lord put it upon my heart that today was going to be a conversation about church hurt. And so if you have notes in front of you, if you're taking notes and you want to write down the title of the message, just, just write this, just write church hurts. Let's pray. Good God, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for this word today. I thank you that this teaching is eternal and it is meant to transform us just like it was meant to transform the people in Galatea. God, soften our hearts today to receive from you. May there be healing in this room and deliverance in this room. May there be encouragement and empowerment to know that yes, church sometimes hurts, and yet we are called to live together in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to do today is really talk about the messiness of church. Amen? You're like, for real? Yes, for real. It's one thing for me as your pastor to stand up here and tell you the gospel is meant to challenge you and your sin is an issue of pride. And so the gospel calls you to a place of humility and submission so that the God of angel armies can defeat the demons and the sin that plagues your life. And that supernatural conversation is so wonderfully high and lofty that if I don't put some skin on the game, you might think that being a Christian is all about ephemeral, supernatural, heavenly things. And you might miss the opportunity to walk out your faith amongst the flesh and bone who sit next to you today. 
It would be wrong of me to tell you that all you really need to do is pray and worship and speak in tongues and come down here and be slain in the spirit and God's going to work it all out and you'll never have a mess and no one will ever be mean to you and there'll be no betrayal and no backbiting and no foolishness and everything's going to be sweet and everybody in this church is going to love when you do well and even if you don't do well, no one's even going to mind and there's no problems ever. Amen? That would be wrong of me because I'm talking to a whole church full of people who are real people who've been to real church and have real hurt in their life. Amen? How many of you have had your feelings hurt by someone who says they're a Christian? Oh, good. Me too. Amen? So we got to talk about how this really happens so that the promises of God that I teach about can be attainable by the people of God so that we're not distracted by the things who and the people who fight against the things of God. Amen? Check this out. Verse 15, Paul is changing his tone. He's been writing to the people in Galatea, the church that he plants, and he's been trying to combat a, a, a pervasive doctrine that has snuck in. There's a group of people, if you've heard me say before, called the Judaizers. They are a, a, a group of, of Jewish Christians who are trying to teach against the gospel of Jesus Christ by saying, yes, Jesus is good and you can believe in him, but in order to inherit eternal life, you must also practice a few of the Judaic laws, the Mosaic laws, specifically in this church, that of circumcision. And so Paul's been teaching and teaching and teaching against law and towards relationship and against works and towards being. And all of this kind of comes to a head where he shows his frustration right here in verse 15. And I love the way he writes. Paul is so blatantly honest about his relationship with people. He doesn't ever mince words. He calls them fools earlier in the text. And here we're going to find that he calls them children. Now you want to talk about some spiritual abuse? (laughs) If I was standing up here and I was like, you're all fools, you'd be like, we are not coming back here. (laughs) Every one of you is a child. That would be rough, right? And yet Paul, the apostle who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, has the spiritual authority to do this because he loves them. Because he's not just this preacher who sits on high and looks low. No, he's like a spiritual father. He was the one who came to them and sat with them and taught them this gospel. And when they go astray, it's not that he's angry. It's that he's saddened for those whom he loves. And he changes his tone in verse 15. He says, what in the world has become of your blessedness? I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I become your enemy now by telling you the truth? What Paul is really getting at here is that the truth has a cost. You've heard it said, we've said it here in this church, for the truth shall set you free. But freedom, ask anyone who served in the armed forces, is not in fact free. What Paul is really saying is that the truth has a cost. The gospel will cost you something. You say, wait a minute, pastor, I thought Jesus paid it all. He sure did. He paid the penalty for your sin. What is justly due to you for the sinful life that you've lived, the disobedience and the rebellion that you have operated heretofore, Jesus paid it. He ransomed you and your debt is wiped clean. But the beauty of the gospel is that the more that you follow him, the more you submit, the more you become washed by the water of the word, the less of you, you get to take 
with you. Because if any man be in Christ, he become a new creation. So the gospel does have a cost. What does it cost? It costs old you. It costs old thinking, old patterns of behavior, the sin that you like that you don't want to get rid of. Yeah, you're going to have to give that up. The, the part of your life that you think no one notices. Yeah, you're going to have to give that up. The truth of the gospel is that the first time you hear it, it sounds like freedom and hope and wonder and joy, and I love it. And then the more you walk with the gospel, it starts costing you. See, you come to this church, and I, I'm the pastor who speaks a gospel that leads you to Christ. Maybe today is the day you said yes to Jesus. And I lead you in a prayer, and you leave this place. Something beautiful will happen between you and me. A deep affection will occur by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when someone tells you the truth that sets you free, there's a love that is birthed in that relationship that cannot be defeated. Amen? I'll never forget the man who led me to Christ. His name is Billy Graham. It was in the summer of 1987, and my dad and my mom were there at the same thing. And he made an altar call, and he he called us down. And I'll never forget that day. And I love Billy Graham. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to see Jesus. And then when he lets me go, I'm going to go see Billy. (laughs) What's up, bro? Do you remember me? No, you don't remember me, huh? Because there's an affection in the one who spoke the truth to me that set me free from the bondage of self. I love that. But here's the thing. If you say yes to Jesus and I'm the one that leads you to that moment, we're going to grow together. And you're going to like me a lot until I start talking to you about the other parts of the gospel that God has called you to. Let's say you walk in the room and you're, you're, you're lost and you're, you're stuck and you need hope and salvation and Jesus gives it to you today. You and I are gonna have a friendship. But next week when I start teaching you that says, you know what, if you're unmarried, you can't live with your girlfriend. You might not like me so much, amen. Because once we really start talking about the gospel, the full counsel of God, it becomes not just about the hope of being saved, but about the refinement of character that you might in him live and move and have your being. Amen? We don't want to be a kind of church that just says, say yes to Jesus, and then we'll never hurt your feelings again. No. We want to be the kind of church that says, say yes to Jesus and let him take all of the parts of you that are not meant to be on you so that he can make you brand new. Because the gospel is about change. And can I be really honest with you? Change is super inconvenient, is it not? I mean, it kind of interrupts your agenda, doesn't it? Change is uncomfortable. And here's the problem with us as humans is that one of the most common ways that we as humans deal with inconvenience and discomfort is with agitation towards the person who causes the inconvenience and discomfort. So here we are at church and you said to Jesus, yes, and I was the one that was with you when we walked and you're like, I love this church. Pastor CB is so cool. He has has all his tattoos and he sweats. I've never seen anybody move around like that before. He's freaking rad, bro. And then you come back next week and I'm like, you have to understand this, that sex before marriage is called sexual immorality and sexual immorality does not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if you really want what Jesus has for you, you need to either move out or break up because you got to get right. And all of a sudden you're like, Pastor CB's so mean, bro. 
girl, all he ever does is yell at me, and he ain't cool. Why? Because the gospel's about change. Change is challenging. No one likes to be challenged, and so we bristle when people challenge us especially at the ones who do the talking. And Paul is writing to the church, and he says, hold up. What happened to your blessedness? Weren't you guys like, weren't we? We had a thing when I left, right? And they're like, yeah. If I remember correctly, we had such a thing that if I were to tell you to take your eyeballs out, y'all would have gave them to me, yeah? And you're like, no, that's a church. Amen. Come on, somebody. He says, but now things are different. Am I now your enemy because I've told you the truth? I'm going to say this to you because I think it has to shift us. If God has brought you here and you have been in one of those moments where the gospel has taken root and you've left on fire, And then you've also been here and the gospel has been like a sword and you felt wounded. You are still in the right place. Can I tell you this today? The reason that most of us bristle is because we don't like to be uncomfortable. That's called immaturity. Are you with me? I didn't say it like Paul. I didn't say you were children. (laughs) I just said, you know, metaphorically. When we dislike the change that the gospel brings us and we bristle at it, what we're saying is I would prefer to be comfortable in sin and death rather than be rubbed incorrectly and be changed by the word of God. So I need to ask you, how many times have you been in this church and really been frustrated with me? You don't have to answer, but I see it on your faces. Right now, bro. How many times have I spoken a word and you've been like, I don't like that. That's okay. You don't have to like that. The truth is meant to set you free. And the number one thing that the gospel truth sets you free from, you ready? is the bondage of you. Here's the deal. Most of us don't need to be rescued from outside sources. Y'all with me? We need to be rescued from us. Rescued from our own poor choices. Rescued from our own device. Rescued from our own desire to be ourselves. So when the gospel is about change or surrender or submission, most of us bristle because we don't like to not be in control. And Paul addresses that. He says, this is really a matter of who you glorify. Verse 17, he says this. You see, they, that's the Judaizers, the ones who have come in teaching an improper gospel. He says, they make much of you. That's the Galatians who are being swayed in the moment. And he says, but it's for no good purpose. You must understand they want to shut you out. He's talking to the Galatians and he's saying, these people who have come in with a sweet sounding word, they're courting you. They're making much of you. They're impressing you. They're dating you. You know how it works, ladies. You go on a blind date and the guy that you go out on a date with, he sends his representative. Am I right? 
real people don't show up to the first date. Am I right? Am I talking to the room right now? Most people you meet on a dating app, first of all, that picture is not them. Come on now, hold on. What is that? Who are you? And secondly, most people show up to first dates with a better version of themselves. They wear their best clothes and say things like, oh, this old thing, I just found it lying around. Because in the early stages of getting to know one another, it's about impressing each other, about soothsaying one another. It's about courting each other. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, these Judaizers that are coming in, they're courting you. They're saying sweet things to you to impress you. But here's their motive. They do not want to help you. They want to shut you out from the gospel. This is true today. For there will never be a shortage of sweet-sounding words that contradict the gospel. Chanel and I went on a date night a couple nights ago. We wanted to go to a comedy club. And I have terrible luck picking comedy shows. (laughs) And maybe it's because comedy is vulgar. Amen? And we picked a comedian that I was like, I've seen him on TV. It should be fun. We'll have a great time. And of course, I picked it, so it's an African-American comedian (laughs) in a predominantly African-American club, and I felt right at home. You know me. (laughs) And he came out, and he did his bit, and his bits were about the silliness of white people, and I laughed. (laughs) And then he changed his conversation to talk about church. In fact, what he did was make fun of preachers. He said, don't we need Jesus? Amen? And the whole crowd said. And he said, don't we need the Lord? Amen? Amen. And he began to manipulate this crowd until the whole crowd felt like church. And then he said, F church. And then he explained how stupid this is. And he wove a beautiful tale that began rooted in the corruption of high-profile prosperity preachers. He got the whole crowd to agree that greed has incorporated itself into the church. Yes, yes. And then he argued that all churches are tax-free. Yes, yes. And therefore, all preachers are greedy. Yes, yes. And I watched as he mastered a narrative that had the whole room full of folks hating God. He had courted the room. Sweet-smelling conversation. And her and I (laughs) were like, what do we do? She thought we were going to stand up and leave. And I was arguing with the Holy Spirit, don't you make me say nothing in this room. Don't you make me stand up and say, judgment is upon thee. No, don't you do that. Let me go. (laughs) But what I did is stayed for a moment because I recognized we hadn't picked this conversation to happen. We just happened to be in the room. And I noticed that what was happening was a courting of people, a courting of people that sounded so beautiful, so rational, so wonderful. And the end result was a conversation that said, God's not real and his people are bad. You should turn away. And it's the same conversation that Paul is having with the Galatians. There will be no shortage of people who will say to you, God's not real. 
You'll say, the Bible says I can't live like this. And they'll say, well, then the Bible is wrong. You'll say, it says that that's sin. And they'll say, there's no such thing as sin. This world is predicated on a teaching that says, you do you. You be God. Don't have to worry about any of these things that are bigger than you. Surrender, submission, those are patriarchal, archaic ideas that are meant to keep you in bondage. You should be free, free to live your life as you feel fit, free to live your life in pride, free to do whatever you want. Isn't that beautiful? And when I say it to you through the lens of the gospel, you recognize it's bad news, but people who don't hear it through the lens of the gospel only hear good news. The enemy's most wonderful attack most effective critique sounds like a beautiful love poem to the hearts of people to say God's not real you are and Paul is writing to combat this in this moment he's desperate desperate for them to hear the truth of the gospel again Desperate for them to understand that there's a king and his name is Jesus. Shocked that the people who heard this gospel message, who once crowned Jesus and like our worship team saying, all hail King Jesus, would now turn from the king and say, but I'm also kind of a king too. I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that will be okay as well. I want to ask you this hard question today. In what areas of your life have the sweet-smelling arguments of this world enticed you away from submission to God? In what ways have the pervasive media conversation, the culture and art that we love, taken you away from an idea that there is a God and I am not him, and I must live my life according to not just what's happening today, but the days to come. How many times have you lived your life as a Christian who is marked more by compromise than Christ? When Paul writes to this church, he's recognized that by being courted by the Judaizers, the church in Galatea has lost their ability to court Jesus to love Jesus, to sing to Jesus, to surrender to Jesus and serve Jesus. That is the creeping, slow burn that pulls most of us away from our faith. Most people do not leave the faith one day. They slowly lose their grip on Jesus over time. You may know this, but most moral failure in the pulpit isn't happened by one big mistake. It's marked by a million small compromises. Ask any man or woman who's left the ministry in shame because of sin. And it's not one thing they did. It's a million small little things that didn't seem like a big deal at the time, but piled up together, had them far from God. And I want to ask you today, because you've heard me preach a hard word, you know me to push you very hard about where you're at, but I want to push you gently and ask, where are you drifting from the king? What songs have you thinking the wrong thing? What shows do you love? What are the messages that when the Holy Spirit speaks, you feel uncomfortable about, but you override it and participate in that is pulling you away? The gospel is about Jesus crowned. 
And most of us live as though he's a part-time king. And Paul's heart is broken. Genuinely broken for this church that he's planted. He transitions his conversation in verse 18. He says, look, I get it. It's good to be made much of. But it's only good to be made much of for a good purpose. He says, if you want any attention, every, any glory, any fame, any love, it should be because the God who sits on high dwells within you. And when people see you, they see him. What he's really talking about is what we talked about two, three weeks ago when we talked about pride as the root cause of sin. In this moment, he's putting a finer point on it and he's talking about vanity. This is one of the most wonderfully deceptive ways that the enemy pulls us away from God is by telling us how beautiful we are just the way we are. And Paul is broken over the fact that this church who came to the saving knowledge is now losing their way. And he says, I understand they've been rubbing your backs and telling you how beautiful you are. Amen. But if it's not about Jesus, it's dangerous territory. Amen. I want you to see something and then I'm going to push you. We're going to pray. I think God's going to do something mighty at the end here. The Apostle Paul in verse 19 shifts his tone towards the end of this conversation and he says, my little children, it's not just good to be made much of. It's important to be made much of for the, wrong, for the right person and not just, hear me, when I'm here. What Paul is doing in this moment is he's noticing the fickleness of faith in believers. Did you know that most of us have a faith that is about this deep? What do you mean? I mean this. Most of us have a beautiful, exemplary, demonstrative faith when it's church Sunday. Amen. He said, come down to the praise pit. And you're like, he's coming, he's coming. You know how to do it, right? You, he says, praise the Lord. You speak in tongues and you pray all the parts, right? But then when you're not here, you don't do it the same way. Y'all talking, am I, am I being honest? How many of you have a praise break or a praise pit in your living room? Nobody, right? How many of y'all take a break in the middle of the day and just tell your boss, I need to pop outside real quick because I just need to praise him for just a moment. Y'all give me just a second. I know my coworkers are going to smoke a cigarette, but I'm about to just. <laughs> now, many of us do it, right? Because our faith oftentimes is circumstantial, nay, situational. Most of our faith is based on where we're at and whom we're with. So when you're in a room full of Christians, you're a real good Christian. But when we're, a room, when we're in a room full of non-believers, we're a really good non-believer. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You switch from room to room, right? Old language comes out. All of a sudden, you curse like a sailor, but you don't curse that way other days, right? Isn't it weird how your brain can turn on parts of who you are? And Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, it's nice to be made much of. And not just when I'm with you. He's again talking to the fickle nature of faith and the immaturity that comes from being driven solely by emotions. It's, it's one thing to love the Lord in public. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's a whole nother thing to live for the Lord in private. Real faith is not predicated on how you act on a Sunday, what radio station you, you listen to when your mom is in the car. Real faith is about how you process your world when no one else is looking. 
Amen. Real faith is about being the same child of God no matter who's around you. So when they say, come on, ain't nobody looking, you can say, oh, he's looking. And I don't live like that no more. And Paul says, my children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth. Paul is speaking from pain. Paul is speaking with authority, but he's speaking from his emotion. And he is saying, I feel like I'm giving birth to you again. Any mother of twins will testify. You finish delivering the first one <laughs> and hoping they both came out at the same time. But having two children is an entirely different thing than having one child. And Paul is writing to them and he's saying, I don't understand why we're going through this again. It's as though I'm giving birth to you again. We are still fighting the same fight. What changed your heart? Paul is brokenhearted that those whom he poured into, those whom he loved, those whom he dwelled with and watched the Lord change their hearts, watched as God did a supernatural thing, would then in his absence, the moment he turned their back, his back, would then lose their way and then think that he was in the wrong. Paul is shattered by the fact that I loved you, I led you, it was me, and now I'm the enemy? Why? Because they sweet talk you with baloney that's meant to kill you? How can I be the enemy? I need you to see the power of the gospel here. Paul is brokenhearted. It's as though Paul writes to this church and says, I gotta be honest with you. This church hurts. You hurt me. You see, church hurt is a phrase we use all the time. Number one reason that most people leave the church is because they were church hurt. It's a phrase used by people to explain why they've departed from God's best plan for helping them in the faith journey. Now hear me before I push you really hard. I am not saying that church hurt is not real. I have been hurt in church. I know what it's like to love somebody to trust somebody. I know what it's like to put all of your eggs in the basket of one leader only to watch him betray you and all of those around you and call it fine and wonder why you're freaked out about it. I know what it's like to nearly lose my faith because I placed a man on a pedestal, I deified a pastor, and then lost my way when he showed that he was just a human. I know what it's like to feel like, is this even real? I'm out. These people are full of it. And I know that many of you have suffered the same fate, sometimes at the hands of your friends and pastors, even your own family, have treated you in such a manner that if this is Christ-like, I'm good. And yet, most people don't fully understand what church hurt really is. You see, pain only really comes from the depth of the joy that preceded it. Oh, I'm going to push you real quick. See, if you meet somebody on the street corner and then you say goodbye to them and it was a one-minute encounter, there's not a lot of pain there. Amen? Hey, how you doing? See you later. All right. 
It would be weird of you to meet somebody and then they leave and you're like, why? <laughs> no, after all we've been through. No, true pain in relational separation occurs because of the grieving and the loss over what we have joined. True pain comes from intimacy and investment. And Paul is writing to a church with whom he's established the most beautiful of relational intimacy and the most profound of his personal investment. And he's saying, this is breaking my heart. Most of us use church hurt incorrectly. In fact, the whole deconstruction movement that took place about three or four years ago harnessed the language of church hurt and the labeling of spiritual abuse as an easy way to justify what the Bible would call as apostasy. When we walk away from God and then blame the people of God, we are not justified by being away from God. Y'all with me? And the whole deconstruction movement says, nah, if we vilify them, then we can deify self and everything is good. Here's what I want you to understand today. If you've been hurt in church, it's because you were loved in church. Because you loved in church. If you felt betrayed in church, it's because there was loyalty in church. If you felt beaten up in church, it's because you were embraced in church. If you felt left alone in church, it's because you were joined in church. If you felt in any sort of way attacked from church, it's because you found freedom in church. The beauty of it is that the enemy always uses the opposite of what God provides. And so in the church, where there's all this beauty that can be found in the fellowship of the believers, the breaking of the bread and the dedicating of ourselves to the apostles, teaching the sharing of all things, and the growth that happens here, that's what the enemy goes after. And so when you feel fulfilled, he says that place is empty and, I, and you feel full of wonder and amazement he says it's all fake the attack on the church starts by relabeling the things of God that happen in the church and I want to push you today and tell you this ready church hurts let me just break it off your life. If you think this is going to be the one church where you don't get your feelings hurt, <laughs> just come back. <laughs> Give us a couple minutes to get to you. Church, church is painful because we are people. And people are fickle and foolish and self-centered. And this is a hospital full of broken people. And we are all broken especially you. And every one of us is in here sometimes playing surgeon with terrible tools. Amen. And so we're going to be hurt by one another. And that will be okay. You said, wait, hold on. I didn't come to some church, join some group of people just so I can get my feelings hurt. Yes, you did. You got into a relationship knowing full well that there was a possibility you'd get dumped. Amen? How many of you thought were just shocked the first time you broke up with somebody? Well, I never saw that coming. Of course you did. 
we know that a part of love also includes some loss. It's a risk to be around people. And too many times the world has taught us that if they dare hurt your feelings or ruffle your feathers or if one person in that church rubs me raw one more time, I'm gone forever. You don't treat your job like that. You don't treat your friends like that. Amen. Here's the deal. Church hurts and Paul knows it. He says, I don't get it. You know, God's called me to be the hands and feet of Jesus to you. He says, Galatea Church, I I walked with you. And I served you. And it's hurting me. Ever wonder why we're all called to be the hands and feet of Jesus? It's not that we're called to walk with each other, though we are. It's not that we're called to serve each other, though we are. It's at the hands and feet of Jesus. Are the most wounded parts of Jesus. We're called to be wounded together. You come to this church, you're going to get your feelings hurt and healed in the same place. You come to this church, you're going to find salvation. Amen? And sanctification. They come hand in hand. This church will one time encourage you, next time challenge you. But you cannot argue that the church doesn't hurt. Because it's meant to hurt. I want to read you one last thing and we're going to call the team up. King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, wrote about this in in Proverbs 27. I wish I could put this on the front door of our church. (laughs) It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds from your friends. And profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This world is going to continue to pour out its affection upon the people of God in hopes of convincing the people of God to become people of the world. But the best people that you need in your corner are those who will be honest with you and tell you the truth. Amen? You don't need to belong to a church that says, you're good, who cares? Do whatever you want. You need to belong to a group of people that said, no, 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 no. That is not who God's called you to be. You're made to be different. You're supposed to be in a room full of people who hurt your feelings from time to time. Amen? Amen. And then pick you up and say, and I love you. You want to go get lunch? Would you stand to your feet? My hope is that today, for those of you who have been hurt in church, the Lord will speak to you a certain sense of healing. Healing to know that what you've been through is common. And not terminal. My hope is today that for some of you who have yet to be church hurt, to know that we love you enough to be honest with you. 
And my final hope is that for those of you who serve in ministry, who have been hurt the most by church, for my deacons and servant team leaders, for my small group captains and my pastors, for the worship team and everyone who's called somebody to pray for them and then been burned, broken, and betrayed to know that that is when you've looked the most like Jesus. No one hurt about the church more than our King. And it never once deterred him from loving us and from saving us. Amen? Amen. Let's worship. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!